0: If you'd turn over to Luke chapter 1, we're in the series, Certainty of the Savior. We're considering what does it mean to uh, trust in Christ and particularly who Christ is. I'd like to do a word association game with you as we start. I'd like you to mentally, as I say a word, consider what you think of or what are the concepts or the images that come into your mind. Now, I'd ask you the first Part of this is to imagine what your friends or coworkers might think. Uh, somehow you've got to channel them in the first part of this. So if I would say to your friends or co-workers, let's say even neighbors, maybe family members that uh, don't go to church, if I was to say the word God, what would they think? Take your best guess, mental, don't yell it out, just think about it. Second, if I would say the word Jesus, what do you think your coworkers or neighbors or friends would think? The final one Christianity. What are your friends, your coworkers? When I became a follower of Christ, uh, I found out very quickly what my friends thought of those kinds of words. Uh, I remember a good friend of mine. Uh, in high school, I became a follower of Christ, I was back on break, and I saw my good friend Rick. Now, we'd been through thick and thin together through high school. We knew each other well. I mean, uh, we had each other's backs. Uh, we were thick as thieves, they would say. He had a, a big Cadillac. <laughs> he had a big Cadillac. Senior in high school, he got it, rebuilt the thing, and he'd cruise around in this enormous boat. I saw him in town. I hadn't seen him since I'd been away. I'd been gone for about, uh, from him from about six months. So I remember sh- seeing his car, knowing it was his because it was this gaudy green color. It was this ugly looking Cadillac as I look back, but it was a Cadillac. <laughs> I saw it, I, I walked over to it, he was coming out of the store, he didn't see me, got in his car, his girlfriend was in the seat, she slid over next to him because it took a few minutes to get across the width of one of those old Cadillacs, <laughs> slid across to her, and I said, Rick, and he turned his head and looked at me. He rolled down his window, and he was like, oh, my, and again, if you know the story, my nickname's Rock, okay, let's we'll not get into it, so he goes, Rock, how you doing, how you doing, And he was getting ready to get out of the car. And I said, Rick, I got to tell you about Jesus Christ. He stopped, went expressionless. He leaned back in his chair, looked at his girlfriend, and started to roll up the window with the power windows. Drove away. That's what he thought. I was like, I didn't even get into the gospel. All I did is mention Jesus Christ. He wanted nothing to do with him. That's the last time I saw Rick. You know, whatever you think of when it comes to those words, God and Jesus and Christianity, uh, it's going to make a difference in your life. Make a difference in your friends and your co-workers and your relatives. I've found that uh, if you have a mental picture that's deficient of the biblical picture... One thing explicitly will be a casualty. And that's the subject this morning I'd like you to consider. The one thing that will explicitly be a casualty is joy. Now very often we think uh, and confuse the difference between happiness and joy. Joy is that thing you can have in the middle of a storm doesn't matter how bad the storm is. You know who made the storm, and you know there's purpose in the storm. Versus happiness is it fluctuates on the basis of your environment. Am I enjoying life? Is my job good? Are my, my relationships healthy? And they can just go all over the place. Those of you who struggled with depression understand this to be true and have been delivered into the idea of joy. is that During times of frustration and difficulty, you can reach for the truth of who God is. What he says about himself, what he says about you. And all of a sudden, the joy starts coming up by faith. I want you to think about a statement. Uh, We're going to reiterate this this week and next because it's absolutely true. The joy is the result of knowing God and trusting God. Joy is the result. It's one of those things that if you know God, you trust God. In the moment, all of a sudden, joy is accessible. Matter of fact, I would say joy is more than accessible joy is inevitable. You see, if you know who God is, and you trust who God is, uh, you can have a joy in the middle of a hurricane, while everything around you seems to be going out of control. And what we're going to see this morning, and hopefully you'll sink your teeth into, even if you're new here, is that a joy is accessible to you. If you're a follower of Christ, you understand that, that in the midst of the The cancer diagnosis, you can have joy. In the middle of the car accident, you can have joy. You apprehend it by knowing God and trusting God, knowing who He is and what He has said about Himself and what He calls you to do. And as you walk in the truth of who He is, walk in the truth of obedience, you're doing what He wants you to do. And that confidence is there. doesn't matter what comes. So I think when you think of those terms that I expressed... Whether that be God or Jesus or Christianity within the glossary of your mind, I would say the best word that would summarize your experience with those words, if you only had one word, would be joy there 's a guy who knows this to be true, matter of fact, um, he had a lot of joy i 'd like you to read i 'd like to read some of his words to you this is john flavel he was an english puritan lived from 1630 to 1691 if you would have asked john any of those words he would have absolutely i think said joy let me read you something he wrote i think it's very very important he says ecstasy and delight are essential to the believer's soul and they promote sanctification We were not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration as the Christian who goes for a long time without the experience of heartwarming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from earthly things and not as he ought from the Spirit of God. The soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment from things outside itself and will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it cannot reach spiritual ones. The believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go any length of time without tasting of the love of Christ and of savoring the felt comforts of our Savior's presence. When Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction, our souls will go in silent search of other lovers. By the enjoyment of the love of Christ in the heart of a believer, we mean that an experience of the love of God shed abroad in the hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. Romans 5.5 5. Because the Lord has made himself accessible to us in the means of grace. It is our duty and privilege to seek this experience from him. In these means till we are made joyful partakers of it. I've never met John Flavel. That guy had joy. That guy understood. It's not about some crusty understanding of God or Christ or Christianity as if it's binding us up in rules. No, he sees it as the the sailboat that takes us across the waters of God's grace into a distant land. Matter of fact, there's another man, a Scottish theologian, who said something I'd like you to consider, a guy by the name of P.T. Forsyth. He said in 1848 through 1921, he lived then, he didn't say this then. He says this, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Isn't that fantastic? The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. If you could take a sentiment that our world has no clue about, I think that would be right there. Everybody's seeking freedom, freedom, freedom. I want to do this. They think life is freedom. You know, spring break freedom. I can do this, freedom. Internet freedom. Ah, Your first duty is not freedom. First duty is to find your master. And then freedom is defined then you can define freedom and live out freedom. That's a great great sentence. Now, we're not too different from the subject that we're going to talk about today. First, you're not going to see it, but hopefully as we go, you're going to see this idea of joy, the idea of God as master. You're going to see it as exhilaration of our souls, because you're going to see that in today's passage. But I want you to think about your life before we start. Where's your joy meter? If you had a meter, if somehow, you know, you could pull back something, almost like a Tony Stark kind of mechanism on your chest, and it indicated your joy, I just would like to ask, where is it? I'd just like to ask, where is it? Because you're going to see people that when they know God and trust God, you're going to see in our passage today, people are just overwhelmed with joy. And it doesn't mean their lives are somehow uh, uniquely different than yours. We have a tendency to think that. Well, they had different lives or different experiences. If I was in their shoes, I'd feel the same thing. Dan, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my boss or my spouse or my neighborhood. or You can name whatever you want. I'll say this, you're wrong. You're just wrong. We're going to see over the next two weeks. uh, They know exactly the types of things we're going through and all the more difficult than we have today. But what they find is joy. So if you're in Luke chapter 1, we're going to start reading in 39 through 45. We're going to set the table a little bit after this because this is a bit like parachuting into a foreign country. We haven't been here for a few weeks. So as we go through this passage, we're going to go back and catch you up. So we set the table so as we start to dine on the passage, we'll know what's in front of us. This is what it says in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed in a loud cry, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb!' And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. As I said, this passage is just overwhelmed with joy. You've seen that. As a reminder, this is very, very unique. Uh, You might, if you're new to the Bible, think, well, I would kind of expect this, God interacting with people on every page. Not so. As we've said previously, the last time that there was a miracle from a prophet before this was 800 years. That's a long time. You can stack up the United States of America's existence over two times the length that we've been a nation, there's never no, been no prophetic message. And then when it comes to a visitation, the last time an angel visited had been 500 years. Prophet Zachariah, who lived 520 to 490 BC, this is before Alexander the Great. The last message from God was over 400 years and Malachi, but it's unique, the last two verses in the prophet Malachi talks about a A messenger coming, spirit of Elijah, the prophet Elijah coming. So that kind of gears them up for looking around. But let's face it, if you've gone for over 400 years, you've forgotten that God is interested in you. You've been wondering where God has been. And so we've been thinking through that in the first chapter, how God now is back involved in such a dramatic way. John the Baptist is going to be born to Elizabeth, Zachariah, that they weren't able to have kids. And we walk through that. Then we walk through the angel coming to Mary. And now we're in a situation in which, in those days, it seems that this transition happens. We've got to track what exactly, how does this fit? Because it says, in those days, I would say the first point that is important that Luke is trying to convey to, to an individual by the name of Theophilus. If you remember, he's writing this. So Theophilus moves from renting his faith to owning his faith. Theophilus was a guy who'd been catechized. He'd been raised or taught at some point in his life, we don't know, to believe the things that are contained in the scriptures about Christ. Now he hadn't had a kind of a blow-by-blow detail and so Luke is writing this. He'd been with Paul since the second missionary journey. And so he is writing down these things and he's writing to this guy so that he can own his faith, so that you and I can own the faith. Not just rent it from somebody else. You don't rent it from a pastor or a parent. You actually go, no, this is absolutely true. So he's making his case. It's an orderly account. He didn't just sit down and just rip this thing out. He writes it and he says, what do they need to know? What's Theophilus need to comprehend? So when we come into this passage, what exactly is Luke getting at? He's just not writing stuff down. I think the first thing he's getting at is the confirmation that Mary desired. The confirmation Mary desired. Now why do I say that? Let me make the case. It says in those days. We think about the idea of those days. Whoa, well, those days, that centers us into something that is happening. Well, what was happening? Well, we studied previously just two stories with Zachariah and Elizabeth and with Mary. Now, it's very important. Flip back a page if you have a page to flip back. In Luke chapter 1, I want to give you some comparisons. There's nine particular comparables between the two different stories that are extremely important to set up why Mary is doing what she's doing here. If you think about both of the stories, the first story really is in verses 5 through 23. And that's the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, when I say Zechariah, some people hear me saying Z-A. I guess it's just my accent, but it's Z-E. So if you get hung up on that, just be aware of that, Zechariah. But if you notice there, they give the life situation in the first part of that passage, all the way from 5 to verse 10. And then the same thing happens in the second story involving Mary, in verse 26 and 27. He gives the life situation. Now, if you go back in verse 11 with Zechariah and Elizabeth, he gives an angelic visitation, verse 11. Then in verse 28, comparison does the same thing with Mary, an angel visits. And this keeps going back and forth, this ping pong. In other words, Luke is writing down this comparison. He keeps going. The reaction of Zechariah, verse 12. And then you see the reaction of Mary in verse 29. Then you see the angel's response, do not be afraid, verse 13. Then in verse 30, angel's response to Mary, do not be afraid. Same exact thing. Then the promise of a son to Zachariah and Elizabeth, 13b through 14. And then the promise of a son, 31 to Mary. And then there's this description in verses 15 through 17. There's these five characteristics of John the Baptist that are laid out. This is what your son is going to be like. This is what he's going to do. It's his resume. Then in verse 32, the angel gives the resume of Christ, 32 and 33. Now, this is where it gets a little sideways. It's very important to get backstage, kind of lean over Luke as he's writing this out. Notice both people question the angel. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. We labored the point, so I'm not gonna linger here, but the idea is he didn't believe. He thought he's too old. And so therefore, what the angelic messenger is telling him is going to be true by the power of God. He says, well, I get the power of God is powerful, but I'm too old. It can't happen. He disbelieves. Verses Mary in 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? She believed, but she didn't understand. See the difference there. One says you can't do it. One says, I don't know how you're going to do it. Then the response of the angel to Zechariah, and we talked about this uh, in verse 19, the response of the angel in 35 to Mary, and then a sign. The sign to Zechariah in verses 20 through 23 is, you're not going to hear and not going to be able to speak. In other words, you're shut out of this. In other words, I'm going to make this happen because I serve God and John the Baptist is going to come, but you're not going to be able to experience the joy of it. Now notice with the sign to Mary, verse 36, he gives a sign to Mary and it's the sign is his, her relative Elizabeth, Elizabeth in her old age, has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her. Whom was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And behold, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. And Mary, I think, wanted a confirmation. She wanted verification. The sign to Zechariah was trapped in him. Couldn't hear. Couldn't speak was shut up. No one outside of the temple when he's given the message was able to know what he's doing. He's making these signs and they're thinking, oh, he must have had, something must have happened in there. But he can't spread the joy. Mary, on the other hand, she hears Elizabeth's name, knows her relative, knows her advancing years. They'd seen each other at the family get-togethers. They'd seen each other in Jerusalem. She's much older, in her 60s. Mary, at this time, is probably 14 years old. She's pregnant? Six months pregnant? I need confirmation. Not disbelief. She believed. But she wanted confirmation. Verification. And her verification was about 70 miles south of her. And so that's why I think it starts off, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. Here's Elizabeth's name and goes, I got to get down there. Now remember, 14 years old, we don't know exactly um, how many days it took. It says within uh, those days, I think it was within a few days. And why do I think that? Well, I think because he says in that verse that she's six months pregnant. Now, if my math is any good, women are pregnant for about nine months. That's been my experience, but I'm not a woman. Luke 1.56 says that Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. So by the time Mary gets down there, she had to get down there relatively quickly. She's six months pregnant, stays with her. So the idea is, is that she left right before Elizabeth gives birth. She must have left right away. I don't know who she took. No one knows. But we do know from verse 39, she went down into a hill country to a town in Judah. We don't know exactly where this town is. It says a town. It's an anarthrous noun, meaning that it's not descriptive. One thing we do know is that many of the people who are priests would live within about five miles of Jerusalem. And Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were from the Aaronic line. So they lived the priestly life. So most likely it's within about five miles of Jerusalem. So she finds herself traveling down. Now, when you think about it, 70 miles. Uh, if you think about from here, from this very location to the Atlanta airport, it's 43.4 miles, 43.4. If you went down to Peachtree City, it's 66.3. If you went to Noonan it's 72.8. Now, you would say, wow, that's, that's 50 minutes. Not when you're 14-year-old walking or maybe riding, taking a trail. Depending on which avenue it was, it's about 70 miles. This isn't an easy thing. You need to understand, because they would have understood. She is so excited. She's willing to make this journey. And notice that it says in a town in Judah, so we know that hill country around Jerusalem was known to be that. And notice the cadence of this. Uh, Just look at the passage here. When it says, in those days... Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zachariah and greeted Elizabeth. It's written in that way so that you know kind of an excitement is building. That's why it's written that way. Uh, maybe you've ever um, gone to the beach with your kids. You might have explained your beach trip like this. Kids, we're going to the beach and we're going to play in the surf. And we're going to be eating out. And we're going to catch crabs at night. And we're going to be away for a whole week. You see how you do that? You just stack one thing upon the next. Because you're excited. That's what Luke is doing here. He's stacking these things so you get inside the mind of Mary. She wants confirmation. She's excited. God is doing this work. It's You've got to feel it come off the pages. This is incredible things that are happening. And only Elizabeth could get Mary. I think that's what she thought. I think the only possible person that could understand Mary at this time would be Elizabeth. Now, we have no idea when the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary. We don't know when that was. But we do know at some point in time she was made pregnant. No one is going to believe in the village of Nazareth. A 14-year-old girl who says the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her because she got the message from an angelic visitation that she's going to be pregnant with the Messiah. No one is going to believe that. Elizabeth would. Elizabeth would. Because if she says she had an angelic visitation, Elizabeth would say, I did too. That's why she's got to get there. That's why she's got to understand. She needs verification. She needs, I would say, a confirmation. Look at there in verse 40. This is incredibly important, so hold on with me. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, very important. The word greeted is used three different times in the passage we're looking at today. And you might think uh, when you walk in, a greeting is, how you doing? Hey there! Knock, knock! You know, knock on the side. I'm here! No. Uh, the idea of a greeting in this culture would be where you'd greet somebody verbally, but then you'd sit down and begin to talk with them. You'd tell them what's been going on. You'd catch up. That's the full idea of a greeting. we localize it into simply running into somebody. How how you doing? That's the greeting. No, a greeting in this culture would be when you sit down and say, what's been going on in your life? We see a picture of this in 1 Samuel 17, 22 and 23. Remember when David goes to meet his brothers, David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up from the ranks of the Philistines and the rest of the story. In other words, David was talking to him. What's been going on? How's it been out here? If you have any encounter with wolves, how about people? Have you met any strange people? Is the food good? Is the is the water good out here? Have you found a deep well? They're catching up. That's their understanding of a greeting. Now it's very important as she entered the house of Zachariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now this is where we get to the second point. The joy of Elizabeth's unborn baby. The joy of Elizabeth's unborn baby. Again, very important. It says verse forty one, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped or leapt in her womb. Now, when I read this, I feel like a detective, I've got to admit. When I know the idea of a greeting and that they're having a catch-up time where they're figuring out what's been going on in your life, I'm so excited about this. At what point of the greeting, what did she say? What did Mary say? that brought her to the point that the baby leaped? What was it? If they're catching up, follow me, if they're catching up, what was it? When Mary said this, the baby jumped. Can I tell you what I think it is? And this is just me. This is just me putting it together. But I think I'm based on the angel's message to Zachariah. I think I know when that happened. If you look over verse 30 of chapter 1, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and we will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And I think the baby jumped right then. I think that's what happened. She's catching up. She's saying this. This is what the angel told me. He told me this. 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 Told me this. And I think when Elizabeth heard that, John the Baptist that was in her belly jumped. The word is literally skipped. Isn't that awesome? Skipped. You know what's interesting about this is? In chapter 1, verse 15, when the angel is talking to Zechariah and gives the characteristics of John the Baptist, it says he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. You see what's happening here? She's telling him what's going on. She's looking for confirmation. Elizabeth doesn't have to say anything. What's the confirmation? The baby jumping. And that's the role of John the Baptist. Before he's ever born, he's entering into his prophetic ministry. Isn't that amazing? As a sidebar, that devastates those people who think that babies aren't alive. That baby's engaged, that baby's tracking. That baby starts its role even before it can breathe the air of the room he 's engaged matter of fact john three twenty eight through thirty John the Baptist says, "You know that i said i 'm not the christ i 've been sent before him the one who is, has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom 's voice and others he says i 'm like the best man i 'm looking forward to the the bridegroom Israel seeing the or the bridegroom Christ, seeing the the bride, which is Israel, blessed is she who believed, or excuse me, there is joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, John the Baptist was born for this very moment and before he's even born, he's part of the confirmation of Christ. He is the joy of Elizabeth and he is unborn. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? It's like God will not be stopped. He goes forward and clarifies and announces. And the joy in this moment is huge because Mary knows, Elizabeth knows God, and they trust God. Now look at verse 41, the joy of the Holy Spirit in Elizabeth. So we've had the confirmation of Mary desired, the joys of Elizabeth's unborn baby, And now verse 41, the joy of the Holy Spirit in Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed in a loud cry. Now before we get into that, let's stop. The role of the Holy Spirit is specifically to make much of Jesus Christ. So he's inside John the Baptist in Elizabeth. And now it's as if the Holy Spirit's expanding to Fill as Elizabeth. It has the idea of a cup being completely full or the idea of being controlled. And notice what she's done. As she's filled with the Holy Spirit, she's controlled. And it says, and she exclaimed. That word exclaimed has the idea of yelling or crying out. So as soon as she hears Mary giving these reports, the baby leaps. Elizabeth screams. Can you imagine this scene? Picture the scene. And by the way, this whole time, You might be wondering to yourself, where's Zechariah? Is he in the corner? Is he in the other room? He can't hear any of this. Think about that. Because he didn't believe. Do you notice the difference between belief and disbelief? He disbelieved. He's sitting there working on a rope or something. His wife just screams out. He's deaf as a post. Completely missing the joy. We'll be back to that. She was filled with that. That word there exclaimed is also used in first Chronicles fifteen twenty eight, when they bring the Ark of the Covenant up into Jerusalem, and it says they brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting. So imagine, that's the same word, shouting there. And in it's emphasized there, exclaimed with a loud cry. That word loud is the idea of megas. That's the Greek word. It has the idea of a mega cry. Like the biggest drink you can buy is the mega. The biggest package you can purchase for vacation, the mega. So whatever that is, it's the biggest. So she exclaims with a loud cry. In other words, she screams. Luke is lingering and teasing this thing out. That's the Holy Spirit has filled her and controlled her so that she is beyond herself, you could say. Because the Holy Spirit wants to make much of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist engaged in this. And now notice the message that flows out of her. Five different blessings come from this. Blessed are you among women. In other words, Your stature among women is the top, is the very top. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. In other words, Jesus Christ, the very top, the favored one. That's the idea, blessed, the favored one. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And Elizabeth, being filled and yet in control, not possessed, filled. She's overwhelmed. Why am I the one being chosen? And notice what she said, that the mother of my Lord. In other words, the one you're going to give birth to, the fruit of your womb, is my Lord, is the Savior I need. Elizabeth gives that prophetic confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah. And notice here, just pause really quickly, and we talked about this the other week, In Roman Catholic theology, they call Mary the mother of God. The Bible never calls her the mother of God because she's not the mother of God. She's mother of the human baby, but she's not the mother of God because the Holy Spirit impregnated her. She is not elevated above anyone else. She needed a Savior just like you and I needed to say that. Verse 44 for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby leapt for joy, a physical confirmation for the joy that God is working through his appointed messenger already. And finally, verse 45, a Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What's interesting about that is certainly blessed is she refers to Mary. I think it refers to Mary for sure. But notice why doesn't she say, blessed are you. Or Mary, comma, blessed are she, second person. I think even from this moment, blessed is she, I think it's the idea of all mothers, not just her, not just Mary. It's the idea of blessed are all mothers who will believe what you believed. As I said, where's Zachariah through all of this? I think it's a sad thing. The difference between joy and not having joy is belief, trust, hope. Joy is the result of knowing God and trusting God. Zachariah didn't do that. He did not trust the Lord, even though he had an angel visit him in the temple, the most obvious place something like this should happen, where an announcement should happen. He had everything set up and he disbelieved. Versus Mary, who's a girl who's in Nazareth, would never expect an angelic visitation, and she did believe. And her joy was great. His joy is yet to be seen. As the band is coming up, I want you to consider a couple things this morning. From walking through that passage is that direct connection between the joy we can have and the belief that we have, the trust that we have. As I said this word association game, what do you think of when I say God or Jesus or Christianity? I hope you say joy. I hope you think about joy. I hope you don't think about your own experience, but you think about the reality of who Christ is. Two things to keep in mind as takeaways from our time this morning. Be mindful not to quench the working of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in, in groups that we run in, the Holy Spirit is not talked about a lot. And I, and I understand that because the Holy Spirit makes much of Jesus Christ. But be careful. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is doing stuff within the revealed truth of God's word. Sometimes we don't recognize and we don't respond to. 1 Thessalonians 5.12. Paul is finishing up his letter and one of the things he says, he says, pray without ceasing, give thanks For this is the will of God and Christ she is for you. And then he says, do not quench the spirit. That's good. Do not extinguish. When you see the spirit of God doing something, and how do you know if it's the spirit of God? It will make much of Jesus Christ. And he says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. If you see the Lord working in a certain way, don't just go, I don't believe that stuff. Nah." minimize the interaction of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that, because Jesus said that he would send us the Holy Spirit in John 16, 12 through 15. Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So that's how you know. If somebody's saying the Spirit of God is working in our presence, and then they begin to say, hey, and by the way, we need your money wait a minute, you're not making much of Christ. Be careful, but be aware that the Spirit of God is willing and wanting to move in our lives, to change us, to mold us, to make us, to express His joy in us of Christ. Second thing, if you're struggling with joy, I would say this, meditate on Christ's work for you and in you to inspire you. To inspire that joy. Meditate on what Christ has done. And this is what Jesus says in John 15, 9 through 11. As the Father's loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his life. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be, in, my joy may be in you. And your joy may be God is for you and your joy because that makes much of Christ. You see how that works together? We've just begun to taste a little bit before Christ is even born of the kind of joy that he brings into this world. So be encouraged this morning, Grace Fellowship. If you're a follower of Christ, your joy meter should be going off the charts for we have a great God. We have a great Savior. Let's pray together. Thank you, Christ, that we can walk in joy. Our joy is not tethered to our job, our family, our relationships, anything else. Our joy is tethered directly to you. It's a result of knowing who you are and trusting what you have said. Help us to walk in this. For you came into this world so that our joy might be full. But when we think of God or Jesus or Christianity. While we can say many things, we must say and have a mental picture of joy that we are secure in you, that we have all that we need for life and godliness, that you're doing work in us and through us into this world. And the moment that we question that, would you grant us repentance? Would you arrest our spirit so that we might live in that place of joy Not checking out of life, but helping us see life through the lens of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Encourage this church to spread your fame, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.